a thousand planets and spreading out. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. The bat pulls. May the force be with you. Who is that masked man? Avengers, assemble. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Fantastic Forum. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. Before we begin today's discussion, here is some genre-related news. The CW announced this week that the upcoming Season 9 of The Flash will be its last. The show was a spinoff from Arrow and helped to establish the Arrowverse as a franchise. Throughout its run, The Flash has remained one of the strongest performing programs on the CW. Season 8 finished as one of the network's most-watched shows of the 2021-22 season, with 1.3 million viewers and ranking among its most streamed shows on its digital platforms. Season 9 will debut in 2023 and will consist of a total of 13 episodes. The show had been widely expected to conclude after Season 8, but the network was able to come to terms with stars Grant Gustin and Candace Patton. A new trailer dropped this week for Star Wars Andor. You can check it out on one of the Fantastic Forum social media pages. And while you're there, if you haven't already, follow us on Twitter and Instagram and like us on Facebook. We like to be followed and we love to be liked. Star Wars Andor debuts on Disney Plus September 21st on HBO Max. Some anniversaries this week as Buffy the Vampire Slayer, starring Christy Swanson, Donald Sutherland, and Paul Rubens, opened in theaters 30 years ago on July 31st, 1992. The Omega Man, the second movie adaptation of Richard Matheson's I Am Legend, and starring Charlton Heston and Rosalind Cash, opened in theaters 51 years ago on August 1st, 1971. And Thor number 337, featuring the first appearance of Beta Ray Bill, was released 39 years ago on August 2nd, 1983. That issue was also noteworthy as being the start of Walt Simonson's run on the book. It was announced earlier this week that following a change in leadership, Warner Brothers Studio will not be releasing Batgirl. Former CEO of Warner Media, Jason Kalar, and Ann Sarnoff, former CEO and chairman of Warner Brothers, had committed to a strategy that was focused on building streaming service HBO Max. Batgirl had been intended for streaming, release via that service. Warner's merger with Discovery Incorporated led to Z David Zasloff taking over. Zasloff has reversed the previous strategy in favor of releasing first-run feature films in theaters before making them available via streaming. Batgirl found itself on the bad end of that decision. 
According to Warner, the movie's $90 million budget made it too small to feel worthy of a major theatrical release, nor small enough to make economic sense in what has been described as an increasingly cutthroat streaming landscape. Another element is the studio's option to take a tax write-down on Batgirl, which is reportedly seen as the most financially sound way to recoup the costs. But taking that option would mean the studio could not debut the film on its streaming service or sell it to another studio. In a related story, Zasloff announced during a corporate earnings call on Thursday that Warner Brothers Discovery will merge its HBO Max and Discovery Plus services into a single streaming platform. Join the friends of Arlington's David M. Brown Planetarium at the First Images Celebration for the James Webb Space Telescope. Aerospace engineer Elaine Stewart from NASA's Goddard, Goddard Space Flight Center will speak and take questions on her work on the Webb Telescope mission. And there will be hands-on activities and science fun for all ages. The event is free and will be held tomorrow afternoon, Sunday, August 7th, from 2 to 4 p.m. in room 527 of the Arlington Mill Community Center, 909 South Dinwiddie Street in Arlington, Virginia. We're saddened to learn of the passing of Michelle Nichols on July 30th. The American actress and singer was best known to genre audiences for her groundbreaking role on Star Trek The Original Series. Her depiction of Lieutenant Uhura was unheard of at the time as roles for African-American women on 1960s U.S. network television were limited and stereotypical at best. Nichols inspired a generation with her portrayal as officer and member of the command crew of the Starship USS Enterprise. She was 89. DC League of Super Pets was the number one movie at last weekend's domestic box office. The animated feature overtook Jordan Peele's horror thriller Nope with 23 million in receipts. Both these movies are up against new release Bullet Train this weekend. Today we're talking about the Batgirl cancellation, recent allegations by comics creators of bait-and-switch on payments from Marvel for characters appearing in the MCU, and more. But first, here is the official spoiler-free FF review of DC League of Super Pets. Ulysses Campbell for Fantastic Forum. DC League of Super Pets is another triumph for Warner Brothers Animation, where many recent DCEU movies have frequently been heavily criticized by fans and critics alike in comparison with Marvel. Warner Animation projects have been the general exception. Consistently high quality and with stories adapted from the comic book source material, the animated entries have been well received. DC League of Super Pets, despite being aimed at a younger audience, is a charming movie with lots of comedy, action, romance, and even some sentimental moments to tug at your heartstrings. Overall, it is a very satisfying and enjoyable movie-going experience. Crypto the Superdog has been a constant companion to the Man of Steel. Like most dogs, he views Superman as his best friend. The two are inseparable. However, Crypto begins to feel insecure and jealous as he sees the hero's relationship with girlfriend Lois Lane becoming more committed. When Superman and the Justice League are captured, the dog from Krypton recruits a team of super-powered shelter animals 
to rescue his master and the other heroes before their captor can destroy them and free Superman's greatest enemy, Lex Luthor. The voice actors are all outstanding, beginning with Dwayne The Rock Johnson as Crypto. Kevin Hart co-stars as Ace the Bat Hound. Both stars have had experience with animated features. The script from screenwriters Jared Stern and John Whittington offers some wonderful material with which the voice actors are able to work. Johnson delivers what I felt was a surprisingly nuanced performance as the voice of the Dog of Steel. And Hart, who seems incapable of turning in a poor performance, delivers his usual solid work. I note that he has done animated animal work recently in The Secret Life of Pets and its sequel, The Secret Life of Pets 2. The rest of the cast is rounded out by Vanessa Bayer, Natasha Leone, Diego Luna, John Krasinski, Mark Marone, Kate McKinnon, Keanu Reeves, Dasha Polanco, Jermaine Clement, David Diggs, John Early, Jamila Jamil, Olivia Wilde, and David Pressman. These 3D computer animated features just keep looking better and better thanks to the army of artistic technicians who work on them. Kudos to co-directors Jared Stern and Sam Levine. And it is a great looking picture, from the character design to the animation and everything in between. There's also some substance to the entire affair. This movie makes some surprisingly important statements about relationships, about being secure in the relationships we have, trusting the ones we love, and being able to forgive them when they disappoint us, and about being able to rise to the occasion when circumstances demand, as well as finding value in ourselves when we feel most vulnerable. Some valuable messages for audiences both young and old. The film also promotes adoption of shelter pets. Aside from his appearances in Superman the Animated Series and the recent Titan streaming series, I haven't seen much of Crypto outside of the comics. But the character is one of Superman's longest standing allies. It was fun to see the Superdog in action here as the protagonist. The producers take some liberties with his origin, opting to have puppy Crypto leap into the rocket with baby Kal-El at the last second over the original. The comic book storyline had Jor-El using Crypto as a guinea pig for an early experimental version of his space rocket. But since Luthor is the one who experiments on animals in this movie, the change is appropriate and understandable. You don't have to be an animal lover to enjoy the movie, but it certainly doesn't hurt. And all the super pets get their time to shine, particularly Ace, who, despite the presence of Crypto, is the de facto leader of the shelter pets. With a runtime of 1 hour and 46 minutes, DC League of Super Pets comes in a tad longer than many animated features, but as I indicated, the story is fairly meaty. Nevertheless, it is fast-paced and doesn't drag. It's rated PG for action, mild violence, language, and rude humor, but it is absolutely family-friendly and suitable for all ages. Something I like about contemporary family-friendly films is that adults will have as much fun in them as do children. No more days of the adults yawning through kid-centric movies. This movie truly has something for everyone. And as I said, it's a lot of fun. Two and a half stars out of four. Ulysses Campbell for Fantastic Forum. 
And there you have it, the official FF review of DC League of Super Pets, starring the voices of Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Kevin Hart, and Kate McKinnon, which opened in theaters nationwide last week. Now it's time to introduce today's panel. Joining me are Shireen Nicole, Julian Lytle, and Mike Lunsford. Welcome to the show, everybody. Thank you for having me back. Hello. Hello. It is a distinct privilege to be joined by all of you on this sweltering day here in the D.C. area. Man, it is just, I, I, I just got to say, it's hot. It's too hot. hot. You know, and hopefully you all are all comfortable and our listeners are holed up somewhere with air conditioning because... Folks, let me tell you something. Global warming is a real thing. Climate change is real. As I have, uh, if, if I didn't already know it, I certainly would have known it based on the way that things have felt recently. So, anyway, look, before we get going, I thought we might take a couple of minutes. And, of course, hell, if, if we could do a complete show devoted to the lovely Nichelle Nichols. But uh, her passing is so noteworthy. And I guess I shouldn't have been surprised by the outpouring of uh, of grief and everything. You know, I mean, shoot, even on H&I, where they show Star Trek six days a week, they've been showing, you know, in fact, shoot, they, they quit showing whatever episodes of the season three they were doing, and they've had episodes featuring Lieutenant Uhura all week. I mean, just DVA, and, and a lot of people have chimed in. But it's all because of the groundbreaking nature of her role. And I like I said, I shouldn't be surprised by it, but I'm glad that that has been recognized and observed. And so, Shireen, I'm going to ask you to offer some comment first Shireen yes yes I was, I was saying I was going to offer I was going to ask you to offer some uh com- if you have any comment I'll just make something up but you know just about um Nichelle Nichols and maybe what she meant to you and how you felt about uh the fact that she has passed on and the way that people have reacted I don't have a lot of words okay about that because um michelle nichols is it, it seems very rudimentary to say michelle nichols is iconic but i have struggled for words about both michelle nichols and bill russell mm. and what they mean to the black american and black global communities Mm-hmm. Nichelle Nichols, not only on screen, taught us that we could fly, but she actually helped in the making of the way for black astronauts and for women astronauts. She made us believe that there was a black to the future. And and so the loss is rather numbing. Mm-hmm. And... And so there is no surprise at how hard the world has taken that. Mm. 
Yeah, well, and uh, well said, and I appreciate that. I, I suppose as a fan of Star Trek, and uh, I mean, and anybody who knows me knows that my Star Trek fandom runs deep. Um, given the reaction, because all I've had to gauge the reaction to Ms. Nichols' passing is the way that people have reacted to the passing of the various other principal performers who had participated, you know, with the original series. And, you know, I'm talking about DeForest Kelly and James Doohan and you know, even Leonard Nimoy. And, you know, one would expect, oh, Leonard Nimoy, he was Spock. But in a lot of ways, the reaction to Nichelle Nichols' death has been more profound than any of those, than uh, even you know, to uh, Majel Barrett or Gene Roddenberry. And that's why I'm saying I shouldn't be surprised because it's all appropriate given who she was and what she meant to not only to black Americans, but to any marginalized people, uh, you know, to women, um, you know, and, and I, but again, I was, I was surprised. And the one thing that uh, I, I will say about it is that there's an episode in the first season, and I, I'd, I'd heard seen this called out uh, as I'd been uh, looking around, actually even before she passed away, but episode called Balance of Terror. And in it, the Enterprise is facing off against one of their mortal enemies, the Romulan Star Empire. And the, um, the Romulans are uh, using this cloaking device in uh, coming after the Enterprise, attacking Federation outposts along the neutral zone. And at a crucial moment during the battle, uh, Kirk has to order the navigator to uh, go bolster uh, the, c the crew in phaser control. And he says, Lieutenant Uhura, take over navigation. And she just casually gets up, walks over to the navigation station, sits down, and it reinforced that all these members of the command crew were trained in every position on the bridge. They don't make a big thing out of it. There is a moment, you know, they give a shot where Sulu kind of looks over at her and, you know, she just goes about doing the job. And uh, the casual way that they wrote that element into that particular episode just reinforced who that character was about the equality uh, of that era and the qualifications of every member of the Enterprise crew, regardless of what their listed title and job was. So, yeah. Well, if it's of interest to you, Ulysses, the Strange New Worlds streaming television show recently reimagined Balance of Terror. Yeah. And in that series... Uhura is depicted as a phenom, uh, which ties into what you just said about the character being very adept at all the positions as she is trying to find out where she belongs within Starfleet. She was just a, a young genius, which makes a lot of sense for the way she was able to take on almost anybody's role on the bridge. Mm -hmm. And to that point, it even shows that like... So I was thinking back on it as well of like some of my favorite Star Trek moments of all time and two of them come from her. Um, in Star Trek 3 when Kirk and company decide that they're going to steal the Enterprise to go get Spock from uh, the Genesis planet um, 
their plan kind of hinges on Uhura because they get to the transporter room and there's some young um, junior officer who's like, I'm really looking for some excitement and some action. And Uhura's like, be careful what you wish for, chump. And when Kirk and all of them show up, he's like, oh, they're not supposed to be here. This is bad. There's no orders. What's going on? And we should do something about it. And she's like, okay, you're going to go sit in the closet. And he's like, what? And then she pulls a phaser on him. And she's like, oh, you wanted adventure. Now you got adventure. Get in the closet, punk. And like, like sh- that's happened because of her. And she was such a badass in that moment. And like McCoy even goes, like, I'm glad you're on our side. <laughs> like such a badass, like puts everybody in their place, shows them that she's more than capable to hang with the boys. But in Star Trek six, in order to defeat the cloaked Klingon ship that can fire while it's cloaked, she's the one that comes up with the idea on how to blow the damn thing up. Mm-hmm. She's like, well, we got all this stuff to catalog gaseous anomalies. She's like, well, the thing's got to have a tailpipe, doesn't it? So, like, it, it goes to these points that Shireen just made that in Strange New World, she is a phenom. She's a genius. She thinks outside the box, but also she's not somebody to mess around with. And, like, I, I, I don't have the same connection that so many other people did with her, but, like, I just, I loved how strong the character she was and i love that the new uhura that they're using is just as strong and just as capable and is building off of that legacy that michelle nichols created mm-hmm. indeed julie you have anything you want to add um <clears throat> excuse me i guess i'm not shocked with the uh outpouring because i think in 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 the later stages of her of her life as she made public appearances and, and talked about the past, you know, especially in that weird period when we didn't have any like real Star Trek at all before, you know, Paramount Plus or whatever they was called mm-hmm. it before was Paramount Plus or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, I think especially for younger younger people who got into Star Trek from '09 Star Trek, hearing the story of like Martin Luther King saying like, "Yo, I need you to I need you to stay on this show." Like we we gotta have people, black people gotta see the black people in the future and it can go to space like. This is important. I think that story like was really resonating because for you know, it was like yeah, you know, people, especially older people always do like yo. She was the first like she's a black person in the sci-fi TV show, first interracial kiss. There's like all these things she did. Mm-hmm. I also don't think she actually always when I was a younger when I was a younger adult when I first saw her like in Truck Turner I was like <laughs> I was like yo why wasn't she in Mad more movies like why was she only like in Star Trek mm, like. Yeah. I think some of that too. Like she, I don't think she got to do as much work as she probably should have be, beyond Star Trek. But I, and I, I think it's very effective. It also that day was it last Sunday. It was, it was like she and Bill Russell died. And like it was yeah. literally it was announced within five minutes of each other. It was like, yo, come on, like that's like a lot. That's like real serious civil rights era, mid twentieth century important figures. It's like. Yo, at the same time, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. I do think um, George Takei will probably also get a big send off whenever he does pass away because, yo, his late stage. Like we learned a lot about him as he became an old man. Yeah. Like, oh, but it, yeah, yeah. I think they they I think they hit bigger, or more more impactful to to the public as we still dealing with more and more uh, racial tensions within the United States of America in the world. Indeed. You're listening to Fantastic Forum on WERA 96.7 FM and streaming via WERA.FM. 
We are your community radio station. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by Julian Lytle and Shireen Nicole, Mike Lunsford. We were just talking a little bit about the passing of, uh, <laughs> no other way to put it, cultural icon. And, and you know, Shireen said that, uh, I, I forget exactly how you put it, but that almost, I mean, even though it covers it, it really doesn't cover it. It sounds like... You know, you're just saying that, but this this woman really was a cultural icon. But the passing of uh, Nichelle Nichols, uh, who was best known for her groundbreaking role on the television series Star Trek. So, um, but yeah, uh, the other thing is I hadn't mentioned uh, Bill Russell. He's not Only, geeky though. I understand. I, that's you know a, yeah. what I'm saying? But the fact Love that the two of them, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> she was in space. He got eleven championships. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Black people was doing things back then. You know, he was in space. I know, and then and then the greatest of all time, you know, playing for the Celtics, the real great right here you on Earth. Yeah, that's a, hey, you, you know, you can say what you want about Michael Jordan or you know Shaquille O'Neal, eleven, or, you know, eleven, <laughs> eleven. He never lost one. Did you know? In any must-win game, he, he never lost. He never lost. <sighs> he never took no breaks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. He's still by. Ali, when they try to take everything away from him, he was right there. Him and Kareem mm-hmm. and Jim Brown. Mm-hmm. People want to talk about Michael Jordan. They got no, got no. Let <laughs> me get me started. That's a totally different show. Uh, exactly, That's a sports show. Exactly. Don't get me started. But he is significant. Bill Russell is significant enough that even on a geeky show like this, we can mention him. <laughs> so uh, that is why I said it was a really difficult was a thing day. to process. Yeah. I mean, Michelle Nichols and Bill Russell at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I'm what glad they you... meant, mm-hmm. what they meant to the world, mm-hmm. and and the groundwork that they laid. Yeah, yeah. it is. Um, they are irreplaceable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right, and particularly to the African American community, because you're right. Their their contribution to the broader world community might be more significant but you know as a as an african american you know looking at that and you know particularly you know and julian alluded to some of it i mean you know her encounter with uh the reverend dr martin luther king uh you know who told because she was planning on leaving the show she was gonna be on mannix <laughs> you know she was gonna be gail fisher take her part peggy you know i don't even, and, I don't even think i've ever seen mannix hey, how about that <laughs> how about that well it's got I mean, a really great opening n- Mm-hmm. Her work with NASA. Oh my her goodness! Her refusing yes. mm-hmm. to take the the roles that were so cavalierly given to black women to be secondary. Mm-hmm. And like, as as y'all said, just the cultural impact that she had on so many people who have also had cultural impact. Like Whoopi Goldberg spoke of seeing her for the first time on TV Mm -hmm. and running to her parents and saying, mom, look, there's a black woman on the bridge of a, of a spaceship and she's not a maid. Mm -hmm. Like that, that's, that's huge. And like, we talk about it now, how important representation is. I mean, back in the sixties, like that was, yeah, that's even, even grander than what we're seeing today, which mm-hmm. I mean doesn't happen if we don't have those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. You are absolutely right. So, um, you know, but a tremendous uh, loss, and uh, I have been uh, the the outpouring of grief and adoration. Uh, I have I I've been moved by it. 
you know and i didn't even i mean i i saw her up close at a couple of star trek conventions especially back in the day and uh, in fact i'll fess up to something here now at a star trek convention back in 1980 i told my friend she kissed me she didn't kiss me i just oh, made he's that out up. Here well <laughs> I just made that up. I'm sorry. Unless he was out here capping. <laughs> I'm glad you confessed. Yes, well, you know, you can't, you can't, you can't let a lie live to be that old <laughs> forever. You know, so. capping on Laura. What's wrong with you? Well, you know, it's like, hey, you know, if you, you know, got me, got me a lot of play. You know, at that kind. <laughs> hey, well, Michelle Nichols kissed him. Yo. Mm. Oh my goodness! <laughs> He's living a lie all these cat. years. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, but yeah, yeah. So um, anyway, the uh, well, I, one of the other things that I had wanted to mention because this is kind of a big deal now too this week uh, with the cancellation, and I guess it's the only way you can call it the cancellation of Batgirl movie. Had what completed. you mean is them b- balling it into, uh, balling it up, and throwing it in the trash. Is what has just, happened? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I couldn't even believe that there was a there's an unnamed executive uh, from another uh, film studio that said this is unprecedented. I've never seen anything this stupid. Like to to take to wait that long and to like Shereen said, that's the perfect and as you ball it up and throw it in the trash. You know how I many movies come out and they talking about this one is too does it doesn't meet standards for for warner brothers but all the movies that came out last year who remembers reminisce what exactly it was not a good mm-hmm. film <laughs> exactly you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. what are you what do you talk yo this man what makes is the home hgtv i don't care if anybody listen to this that's their favorite channel i am i am disparaging that entire network i'm disparaging food network because it ain't <laughs> about the food no more I'm disparaging every investigation discovery that that plague it has on households. And he out here getting rid of Batgirl, cutting off Batgirl, ruining people's weddings. Yeah, because the directors were at a wedding. In fact, I think one one of them was getting married. Yeah, Yeah. it's probably lit, too. It's a Middle Eastern wedding. You know, they was partying. (laughs) I'm tight for them. For days. The good dancing was happening. So much good dancing. Yeah. But you know, what is really disturbing is, as an Afro-Latina, Leslie Grace, the star of Batgirl, do you know the number of people who were going to come out just because of that, or stream it just because of that? Mm -hmm. And then you have the number of people who were going to watch solely so they could see old man Bruce as portrayed by Michael Keaton. For that alone, Mm -hmm. the number of people that were going to be there for that. Mm -hmm. But above all of it, all I can keep thinking about is how these artists were dishonored. Yeah, They had almost completed the film. And anybody who knows anything about action movie knows how much of a toll it takes on the cast as well as the the stunt crews and just it is it is a a huge toll on the body and the mind to make those films Mm -hmm. and the joy that they were experiencing and having this opportunity and to not be told but to to learn out in the space (sighs) that that all of that work was being trashed Mm -hmm. is so maddening so upsetting 
I can't even say. And the mistake that is being made here is that film projects get canceled all the time. It happens all the time. Distribution changes, budgets change, these things happen. But this, as as Mike said, is unprecedented. And what this tells the community uh, as creatives is maybe you can't trust Warner Brothers because you can get this far and make a with a character this important like Barbara Gordon and they will still throw you away. And after all of the upset of creatives not being told if they were going to be streaming or if they were going to be, you know, simultaneously released or on the screen and all of that confusion to do this now and to cancel everything else that they cancel. This could have long-term effects on whether people actually want to work with Warner Brothers or whether they choose oh, yeah. to go elsewhere. There was a lot no, of talk right. at hey, one hey, point. Hey, Mike, Mike, hold that yeah, thought because that musical cue means it's time for us to take a short break. Because, of course, Fantastic Forum comes to you via WERA 96.7 FM in Arlington, Virginia. We're a community radio station and we're non commercial. And. That means that we rely on the ongoing generosity of our underwriters, sponsors, and listeners like you for the totality of operation of the radio station. Please visit the website at WERA.FM or that of our parent organization, Arlington Independent Media at ArlingtonMedia.org to find out how you can make your tax-deductible gift today. But don't go away because Shireen and Mike and Julian and I We'll be right back with more Fantastic Forum right after this. And welcome back to Fantastic Forum here on WERA 96.7 FM and streaming via WERA.FM. We are Arlington. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by Julian Lytle, Shireen Nicole, and Mike Lunsford. And when we took the break, we were talking a little bit about the cancellation of the movie version of Batgirl, which had been directed by Adil El Arbi and Bilal Fala, and with the screenplay by Christina Hodson, and starring Leslie Grace, uh, J.K. Simmons, Brendan Fraser, and Michael Keaton. And uh, Shireen, you, you pretty much knocked it out of the park with your comments about this, because... I mean, man, you know, the, the fact that the, the, the cost to Warner Brothers behind their relationship with creatives can't be minimized behind this. And especially the crazy way that the directors found out about what was going on with it. Uh, it it's worth noting that Batgirl was not the only casualty uh, of this new policy, Scoob, this animated Scooby-Doo movie, uh, also to sequel. Oh, sequel. Sorry. All right. Well, there you go. That also uh, was cut, and 
And now I know, uh, apparently, and this is the crazy thing about show business, because uh, I've been reading a lot about uh, people saying, oh, wait, so it wasn't good enough or something. It had nothing to do with that uh, at all. Uh, apparently, it was a financial decision, ultimately, the way that uh, Warner is uh, putting this out. And with the, okay, so the budget to this film had been $75 million. And it went up to about 90 million, and it was intended, produced originally, for release via the streaming service, uh, HBO Max. And the whole idea had been that Warner was going to produce a number of films for streaming release exclusively. And apparently, there is a tax loophole that will enable Warner Brothers to write off 100% of the cost of this movie, but they can't release it and they can't sell it uh, to any other studio. And so they've opted to do that because at $90 million, the feeling was that it wasn't big enough for a theatrical release. But as it turns out now, uh, given some of the number crunching, it's too big for release on the streaming service. And of course, it was announced that the streaming service has actually merged with, well, excuse me, the Discovery streaming service is now merging with HBO Max uh, because of the merger of these companies. So um, it's, it's just, it's a crazy daisy chain of stuff and uh, oh the other thing that came out behind this is that david zasloff who is the new uh, head of things over there at warner brothers says that warner brothers is developing a 10-year plan for dc comics properties and i don't know whether i really believe that it's not the first time i've heard it in terms of uh, Warner's notion of there being some sort of organized, cohesive strategy behind building and promoting the DC brand, which I happen to think is actually more robust than the Marvel brand, but I don't know, maybe in the minority with that. Certainly people no, who... not. Well, thank you. Appreciate the solidarity there. You know, certainly there's some Marvel-loving folks out there who are like, they're sputtering like, Yuli, what are you talking about? That's ridiculous. But uh, I think the relative success or lack thereof, even with that, ultimately depends on who they find uh, to do it and who's going to oversee this so-called 10-year plan. Oh, and... Uh, I, I don't want to forget to throw this in because this seems relevant to me also. A lot of people want to make it like DC versus Marvel and they're acting like Marvel is just whooping DC's butt and that's always the way it's been. You young folks need to take notice of the fact that the big budget superhero movie became a thing in 1978 because of a film called Superman the Movie that opened for Warner Brothers and made oogobs and oogobs worth of money. And DC, were they were the only ones making these big superhero movies for quite a while. And it wasn't yeah, until... Yeah, Marvel failed at it until Blade. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean... But then that was... And that company was owned by who? That made Blade. New Line. Who owns that? 
Warner, Warner Brothers. Brothers. <laughs> yeah, it the whole situation is just rife with They don't irony. even like to talk about actual Marvel movies before the MCU anyway. So it's just like that's not part of their argument. No. Cuz hey, none of these movies they made better than Spider-Man 1 and 2 anyway. So it is what it is. Well, you know, which just invalidates that argument altogether. But, you know, it's like back in the day because hey, now you hear Star Trek versus Star Wars. I'm old enough to remember when it was Star Trek versus Lost in Space. You know, and so same kind of what happens is you age out. You know, people forget that there were these other things that came before, and then next thing you know, it's like, oh, this is all we know. And I mean, I remember feeling a same, a similar kind of way after, uh, well, when Wonder Woman was getting ready to be released, and you know, there was this. Uh, well, uh, no way to describe it other than uh, some negativity uh, surrounding uh, Gal Gadot and her physical appearance. And uh, I had to offer to some uh, people who were upset because they felt it was sexist. I said, well, look, there was a guy named Michael Keaton who got the same kind of response when it was announced that he was starring in Batman. And if you just, sometimes it isn't necessarily about the sexism or about the, I'm not saying, hey, hey, sometimes it is. Sometimes it absolutely is. But sometimes it isn't. And, uh, you know, you just, you have to have enough institutional knowledge and memory to be able to make a call on that. That's not what America's built on anymore, Ulysses. But Mike was going to say something about this thing. Thank you, Shireen. Um, <laughs> I was going to say there was a lot of talk at one point about um, DC going to try to, because after his contract is up with uh, Marvel, they, they were going to try to grab Feige so that he could come in and usher in a DCEU that was amazing and wonderful and fantastic. Why would Feige want to come to this? Like after they do, after they treated artists like this, after they treated directors like this, after, and, and here's the one thing that irks me about this. I don't know a ton about the film industry. I know enough as a fan, as somebody who watches movies and studies these sorts of things. But what I do know is working in a corporate environment, which I've done for over 11 years now. And I can tell you what this does is this stinks of manufactured profit. Hmm. Let's cut our things that are potentially causing losses so that we can inflate our numbers and show, hey, look, we made ridiculous amounts of profit this year because we cut all of these things that were costing us money. That problem with that is, is it looks good for one year, but that's a nuclear button. You do it once and you can't do it again. Because what's going to happen next year when you don't have anything to turn to? Because you've alienated all of these creators. Because you've cut all these projects that could have made you money. Like, it's it's going to be one of those things. This seems like a gutting of a company, is what it seems like. Let's do everything we can to force profit now, to make the investors happy, and then whatever. That, that was, I did my job. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't see how a 10-year plan could fix this. Hmm. That is particularly damning, <laughs> you know, and and I agree with everything that you just said. And honestly, I hope I'm wrong. I am. A, I, I hope I'm wrong because I love DC characters. I love their stories. Their animation is on point. It, it, it has been for the longest time. I'm with you guys. I love both. I love Marvel and DC equally. I don't really have one that's more of a favorite, but like. It's one of those things to me that, like, I just feel like it, it. Every single time we are like, we're getting hope, and we're like, okay, Peacemaker was pretty good. 
all right, maybe they got this figured out. Hey, that last Suicide Squad that James Gunn did, that was a pretty good flick as well. All right, maybe they, they're right in the ship. And then you see something like this happen. And it's just like, it's like they can't get out of their own way. And if this was an innovative strategy, it'd be one thing. But this is this just reeks of let's cut our losses and make as much money as we possibly can to make a couple people happy. That's what happens when you get two different sets of owners in a yeah. very short period of time because Walter technically Walter Mata didn't even have enough time to see if he failed yeah they're like I heard cutting he it off quit. yeah they're cutting yeah. it off like while all the stuff he, like his stuff just started coming out like he just joined in 2018 mm-hmm. like bro I, a year and a half later we had a pandemic like hey, what are we what are we really doing like I don't even think I don't even think Warner Brothers Discovery is going to be Warner Brothers Discovery in five years I think it's, it's going to get right. bought again. So it's going to be a whole new set of pan, plans. They should just make movies. It, there shouldn't be no universe. It, mm. Well, everybody's trying to rub their stank on it. <laughs> and when when you're coming in with all of this ego, and everybody's got, e- well, you know, everybody's got some degree of ego, and you have to do things with strategy. But you also have to do, whether you love Marvel or not, it doesn't matter. They do things that that have a kind of love for the joy of sharing these things with the characters. Even you know, I, I'm infamously, infamously saying that Kevin Feige is a troll. He is gleeful about getting in there and messing with fans and getting everybody riled up. But I think that that comes from a real love of the Marvel universe. Like I said, whether people like what they make or not, the thing for me is that. DC is not Marvel. The reason that these two companies have stayed around as long as they have on the top of comics is because of how different they are in their methodology, in their storytelling, in their mythology. Even when you have characters that are so much in parallel, these two companies tell stories very differently. And if, if Warner Brothers would listen to who they have already in their pen, like their animation writers who are just phenomenal at doing the thing you know young justice has got to be the pinnacle of seeing dc characters move around you know we can go back to you guys know i'm a huge fan of justice league and justice league unlimited you could go back to that they knew how to do this thing we talk about you know bruce tim we could go back to red skies batman the whole thing right the point being if DC knew what they had underneath the, the Warner Brothers umbrella, if Warner Brothers understood this massive IP that they have, and that if you tell stories the DC way, you don't have to, as Julian said, do all this fancy dancing. You don't got to pee all over stuff to get your smell on it. All you got to do is do what DC does best. And if you do that, you will be successful. Ten-year plan, no plan, multiverse, no verse. It doesn't matter because DC has proven that its stories make people fans for life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're, you're listening to Fantastic Forum on WERA 96.7 FM and streaming via WERA.FM. Radio Arlington. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by Shireen Nicole, 
Mike Lunsford and Julian Lytle. We've been talking a little bit about the cancellation of Batgirl. And Shireen just made an excellent point, one that uh, I have echoed for a number of years. I have said they just... Because Marvel has been so phenomenally successful of late with making these movies. And the conventional wisdom that I hear promoted time and time again is, oh, DC should do what Marvel's doing. And that is absolutely what they should not do. And what Shireen said and what I say is just, there's a reason these characters have been around for over 80 years. Just let them be themselves. Use what has made these characters and this company popular for 82 years, excuse me, 84 going on actually, and you will, it'll all work out, you know? But unfortunately, what's working against them is Warner Brothers' is old Hollywood. And I, I, I and in fact, <laughs> Mike, you can tell James Rambo that I keep using his line because he was the first person who I said I heard say this about Warner Brothers' old Hollywood. All they know how to do is is what has been done for all these years. And as an example, I mean, I'll just now this part is my story. But 1978, Superman the movie comes out, and at the time. Batman had only been off the air for a few years. Wonder Woman with Linda Carter was still on the air. And Green Lantern is only some animation effects. And we came out of Superman the movie in 1978 salivating because we're like, oh boy, maybe this will herald doing the Justice League. DC could have done a shared universe back then. But... What they decided to do after Superman the movie was Superman 2, and then Superman 3, and Superman 4, because you know what? Sequels. That's what old Hollywood knows how to do. They didn't know how to be innovative. They didn't know how to develop something new and promote it that would have been well-received on the part of fans. I don't know, Ulysses. I don't know. I don't think it would have been effective back then. I think I think some some fans had to get older and birth new fans to be more susceptible to a certain idea of a shared universe because that's still a big gamble Marvel Cinematic Universe was a gamble no and doubt. I didn't I didn't think it was going to work I thought we was going to get the really? Avengers and it's like y'all really y'all really going to pay off four movies with one movie you really going because even by that time I was like only one of these movies got a good third act and that was <laughs> that was the, the first Avenger that was Captain America 1 I was like, y'all really gonna pay these movies off, huh? And then people people liked Avengers. I, I thought Avengers was good, but I didn't. We we what? Which chapter we on now? Thirty thirty <laughs> what? I don't know. We'll see. You you would think you know what I'm saying the only counterbalance is the family, aka the beloved Fast and Furious franchise. <laughs> that was the well, only original something. franchise of the <laughs> of the modern era. But I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. But I do agree that. Well, I I tell this to Shireen all the time too. Like you have to do what historically made DC different from Marvel Mm -hmm. in the '80s, because when they were getting their butt kicked, because Marvel was kicking their butt. Mm -hmm. Go back, look at the sales. They had to go ahead and let let some of them British folks go ham. They had to start doing different things. 
They had to go make the, the best event ever. They had to go make Crisis. They let Frank Miller. It was like, oh, you did a little good thing with Daredevil. Come on over here. Like, you get this Batman, though. Then you make Dark Knight and you're one. Ooh. Alan Moore, what you want? Just watch me? Like, nah, we don't want you to do that to, to Blue Beetle and them. Go, go make it something else. Bomb. Oh, this, this young editor. Yo, Karen Berger, what you got? What you going to let us make? You see what I'm saying? They was doing. Yo. They also had women the in charge, too. The great Karen Berger. Yes. And Jeanette Collins Jeanette, I was going to say, mm-hmm. there you go. They had women you in know, charge. You know. <laughs> they, those are the books we a, still talk about. Those I think the there's books. a point being made here that's really, really salient, that in order for there to be success with these things, there has to be risk. And that's what right now Discovery, and I don't even remember the guy's name because I don't even Zazzler. care at this point. Yeah, whatever. Uh, sounds like a James um, Bond villain, doesn't he? <laughs> he he doesn't want to take risks. He's making all of the quote unquote smart business moves. But that's that's the beauty of 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 film and television. And is sometimes you have to take risks in order to succeed. Because think of like the greatest movies and TV shows and comics for that matter. You guys just mentioned a ton of them. Like all of those on paper are not a slam dunk when you're pitching them. Like most of them aren't, and the ones that are, like, oh, this is a slam dunk. Most of them don't don't pan out. No. Do you know what Warner Brothers said when they bought the Matrix? Mm, no. What did they say? We don't me? know. We don't know what we bought, but we know it's gonna. But we think it might be something good. They just <laughs> took a risk. They really did. They they had no idea what it was. They they just took a risk on it, and look at that. Look what happened with that. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Massive. They also had really good producers. Joel Silver was a producer, producer, right there. He well, I was going to get done. to Joel Silver, mm. right? Because, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you need people like Joel Silver. If I'm not mistaken, Joel Silver also did the Lethal Weapon franchise. I believe right? so. I think so. Mm. So when you look at Joel Silver, and this is something he said um, when we talk about franchises, which is also a really smart thing that has never been wrong. He said, bring everybody back. That's what mm. made Lethal Weapon work. You look at the Fast and the Furious, that's what makes that work. They bring everybody back. And you build this world that people want to continue to be a part of because it becomes very tangible and very real. If you look at what Marvel is doing, they kind of follow the Joel Silver rule. Yeah. And mm. um, it, it kind of works. With you know, DC has been very slapdash because again, a new ego comes in. We get a new plan. We get we have to up. You know, there's new upheaval and and all of those things. And the characters suffer because when DC directors and and a lot of times producers come in, what they're looking to do. And I'm going to wrap this up, Yuli, because I know you need me to. What they're looking to do is to to make the character theirs, to imprint, right? And and mm-hmm. so you kind of lose the essence of that character. So when you get someone like a James Gunn who intrinsically understands and respects Suicide Squad, who intrinsically gets the charlatan characters um, um, and, um, and looks at Peacemaker as something he can really not change to imprint upon but enhance and give back to the people there's your difference right there mm-hmm. no and you're right and uh, you know it, it's it's a it's a very sad commentary on where 
DC is right now, where Warner Brothers is with DC, I, I, I should say. Because, uh, and, and Shereen, I think you were the one that said this a little bit earlier, is that Warner Brothers does not understand the value of this particular IP. Um, Superman, Batman, I mean, I don't know. I guess in a world when you've got Fast and the Furious and uh, the Marvel characters and Harry Potter and the Matrix and all this other stuff, um, you know, some people don't understand the cultural significance of Superman and Batman, and yet they have I a certain... I think they do, hmm? though. I think, I, th I mean, Matt Reeves certainly does, you know, but the, if the studio doesn't, it doesn't matter what the people understand. Hmm. <laughs> boy and and you got that right and uh, you know regrettably it, it seems that there's a handful of their creators that do understand it and yet they're alienating them are these people going to want to work with them because they don't know whether or not whatever they do is going to come out but ah, I, I, I'm afraid and Julia said this last night Bilal and Adil are one of are one of the hottest directors out right now. Julia, yes. you got to tell. Me. Well, yeah, because they made the highest grossing film of 2020 with Bad Boys for Life. Mm, yes. Direct some of the best episodes of Miss Marvel. Marvel. They they're on everybody's list to get. And you know, that's why you know they shared that email they got from Kevin Feige like, "Oh man, this is so bad. I hope you're doing good. Congratulations on the wedding, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I will hit you up as soon as, as soon as you get back in town." I'm like, mm -hmm. "Cuz why wouldn't you want the hot young directors? Thank maybe you. maybe mm. the maybe the new DC, I mean the Warner Brothers thing, they're gonna go for actual super young people. Maybe some new people won't get some shots. But hey, we got um WGA and uh DGA and PGA uh negotiations next year. We about to <laughs> we about to get a strike season. Ah yeah. Well look, um Hate to cut you off, but we're out of time for this episode. I'd like to thank my panelists and you, too, for tuning in. Of course, Fantastic Forum uh, airs each and every Thursday, re-air right here on WERA from 3 to 4 p.m. We're in first run from 4 to 5 each and every Saturday afternoon. Check us out on the web, fantasticforum.tv. Be sure to come back again next week. Same bat time, same bat station. Have a wonderful weekend, people.